It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio. Well, I knew I wanted to do something. I knew I needed a change in my life, and I'm like, heck, we might as well try it, you know? And plus, we thought it would be fun. Yeah, and it was was a lot of fun. It's an adventure, do something outside of the box. Todd Tillman had been working in ministry for more than 20 years. He was a pastor of the Cornerstone Church in Meridian, Mississippi. He had eight kids, and he had been married for more than two decades. And then he wanted a change. Call it an itch, call it a calling, hell, call it a midlife crisis. But Todd knew that he just needed to do something else. And so, Todd Tillman, the pastor from Mississippi, tried out for The Voice. What is your name? Todd Tillman. I am 41 years old, and I'm from Meridian, Mississippi. I need to know about you. Most importantly, I am married for 21 years to my beautiful wife, Brooke. And I I really, in my head, I was like, oh my God, he is on The Voice. It really was a surreal moment. Like, this is him on The Voice. And, And then it was like kind of a blur. That's Todd's wife, Brooke. The two of them had been married since she was 18 and Todd was 20. They were high school sweethearts, and she is the one who made Todd go to that audition for The Voice. I believe that Brooke Tillman is the reason that Todd Tillman eventually won The Voice. I've said it before, but it is very true. Behind every successful man, there is an incredible woman. I'm Joe Piazza, and this is committed. 
to go first? You go. We met in church. I was super young. So what, 13? When we first met. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. he asked me to a movie, and I remember thinking he was eating out of my popcorn. I think he was trying to hold my hand, but it really got on my nerves because I wanted to eat my popcorn. And so I went home and told my mama that he wasn't for me. So that's how it started. And you can take it from there. I didn't know um, at that night. I, I didn't find out till a little bit later that she didn't really like me. <laughs> and yeah, and so, but basically. I think once I kind of turned him down, he was a little bit, uh-uh, you're not going to. So we kind of did this back and forth thing. But at any rate, that's the story of how we met. Yeah, that's kind of how we met. <laughs> Very young. It's like a young love story. It was essentially middle school. They were babies. And like you do when you're that young, they went back and forth. They were dating. They weren't dating. Brooke would start liking Todd, and then all of a sudden, Todd would play hard to get. Do you remember what those days were like? I wouldn't go back to being a teenager for anything. Nothing. Brooke and Todd started really dating when she was about 15, but even then, they were still on again and off again. She dumped me several times. The one and only time he broke up with me was the last time we broke up before we got back together and decided to get married. And he told me that God told him to do it. Well, and I remember thinking... I didn't mean it like... I always that is to so that, like, aggravating because you can't argue with somebody when they said God told you to do it. And then I was so aggravated. I remember telling my mom, I'm like, so he's going to blame this on God because no. he, he can't just say himself, I don't want to date it, you anymore. If you're not careful, religion can make you feel guilty even for the even for the good things in your life. So Todd had this big plan to propose to Brooke on a vacation in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. He wanted to do this big thing in a skating rink. Brooke totally knew the proposal was coming. We were in Oberg, Oberg Gatlinburg, Gatlinburg. Gatlinburg. He was going to do it when we were on top and we were ice skating, but he got nervous that he wouldn't be able to skate out and get on one <laughs> knee. And they were going to do it over the like loud Yeah, speaker. my coordination is bad. And so he told me he waited until we got over the Gatlinburg. And he started acting really weird and saying, you know how when you go to propose to somebody, you start saying these really sentimental things. And I'm like, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I remember thinking, oh my God, you're acting so weird. Stop. And then all of a sudden, then he got on his knee, and it was really beautiful, and everybody yeah, too. So lots it was, of people a, were it was in a really cool room. moment, and I was very surprised, even though I tried to not be surprised. But you got we it don't, over like me. we don't have a short version of anything. I'm no, sorry. I talk a lot. <laughs> Neither one of us can. Guys, I don't it. want the short version. I want the longest version possible. <laughs> <laughs> she don't want the clip. Notes. Yeah. Look, I, I gotta tell you, he told me, this is how he tells me, he's like, if, if you change your mind before I tell my parents, this is how young we were, yeah. then it's okay. But once I tell my, my parents, my mom and dad they're not going to let me like go back because I've broken up with you. They wasn't having nobody messing around with their kids. I was in full-time ministry. Brooke was working for a clinic, and that's kind of what we were doing at the time. We lived in a tiny little apartment garage. above our garage in a property that her dad owned. Todd was a pastor's son. And he has personally been in full-time ministry since he was 18 years old. After they got married, Brooke quit her job at McDonald's and began working in a clinic as a receptionist. The two of them moved into a teeny tiny apartment that was above a garage. They got pregnant with their first child just six months after getting married. And for Todd, those early years were really good. But Brooke still felt so young. Remember, she was still a teenager. And there was this part of her that felt like she'd missed out on all the kinds of things that other 18-year-olds and people in their early 20s get to do. So I was immature and selfish, and I began to think the grass was greener on the other side. I began to think I didn't get to date enough people or that I just 
you know, I didn't really know what I wanted because I was so young. And I think Todd, again, because he loved me, I will say what he talked about earlier in our dating relationship. And, you know, we are we are Christians and our faith, you know, everything from our life, it stems from our faith, our relationship with Jesus, not religion, but our relationship. And I do think at times Todd put me before God, which you cannot do. Marriage isn't going to work right. A relationship isn't going to work right. But, you know, and so I think even in that season, you kind of let me do whatever I want to do because you loved me and you didn't want to lose me. My sister was single at the time. I kind of began acting like I was single. Yeah, you just kind of live. Yeah, you know, and that caused a lot of problems. We just almost like lived separate yeah. lives. You know, I began to just, you know, with Ty's permission, and not like right. he wanted me yeah, to I'm do it. Say, I don't get it was permission. more. He, <laughs> We're not that kind of family. No, and, and I didn't do. It. I just he he let me go out and hang out with single people. He didn't want to lose me. I think he felt that he was losing me, and so I wanted to go kind of do the hang out with girls and and of course hanging out with my, you know people. And they were single because they were all you know we got married younger than most people, and so it just caused a lot of friction and problems in our marriage. And yeah, you know, it was kind of hard because. There is a part of me that I guess I did feel a little bit guilty, even though we made a decision together to get married. And, but like, the, it is true that, that we got married really young. And it is true that as far as the life of a single person goes, neither one of us, you less than me, really lived that in our late teen, early adulthood years. So it's not, it, that was a true thing. Right. You know, and, and I'm very extroverted, so I like and so, people and hanging with people. And Todd's, Todd's a little more of a homebody, so I think we just... And, you know, also, you know, in more practical terms, I had kind of let myself go. I was really unhealthy and overweight, and a lot of different things were going on. And, and I think you were insecure. Yeah, I had a lot of insecurity. It was, it, You know how it is. It's just, a, it really was just like, it, it was, you know, every now and then in, in life, it's like there's just poop slingshots in every direction, you know, and we were just in one of those times. Yeah, one of I would like to name this episode poop slingshots in every direction. <laughs> poop is my favorite thing to talk about. Even though everybody has a poop Even story. though Brooke, Brooke kind of does this to me all the time. Please don't get the idea that we're the kind of family that I like give her permission. <laughs> no, no, I just meant, I meant it more like. No, guys, that's a, that's a whole, that's a whole different kind of podcast than what I thought we were getting into today. I meant it more like you weren't you wasn't saying Brooke you can't you know don't go oh yeah I wasn't it was a season where I think you were kind of like I know you didn't like me doing it even though you didn't say it you just he didn't want to argue with me he didn't want me to give me another reason to leave yeah and so it was kind of one of those things that we were living you stayed at home and did your thing yeah, and Brooke, I went out and did I mean, my thing it, and even, even to now we Brooke's kind of not easy roommates. to tell she's not easy no, to tell stuff that she don't like to hear no, I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't want to get into that fight but like I don't think you should go I wish you would stay he's home he's gotten you know? a lot better at telling me no let me just put it that way he, uh, in the early stages of marriage I didn't get told much but I, I get told no well that, I will say you know, everyone tells you one of the most valuable lessons in life is to learn to say no, and they're right. Only they mean not to them. Yeah, to everyone tell else. everyone else <laughs> not to me. No one really likes to <laughs> I totally understood Brooke. As someone who personally let off a lot of steam and sowed pretty much every wild oat there was to sow in my 20s, I will say I was here for this part of her story. It's a time in your life where a lot of people really just want to be young and stupid. Right. 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 Yeah, you're right. That was part of it, you that know, was. and, and it, it caused a, a well, I basically almost caused us a divorce. Yeah, almost. Yeah, it did. Very close. It was almost like, I remember when, like, I was like, okay, if you're doing this, you got to come tell my parents. And that was the scariest thing because, of course, what, 19 and I was 20, 
you know? No, you would have been like 21. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, because Egan was about two. Egan yeah. was about two. So, yeah, I was getting close to one. Um, still immature, though, and young. And I think it was, you know, I love his parents. They're wonderful to me. But it was very intimidating because I knew they were not going to be happy because I, and I remember thinking, if I can just get out of here and get this conversation done, I won't have to deal with that anymore. So I almost wanted to hurry up and do the quickest I could to not have to deal with that side, all the disappointment of his family, the church, because I did love his family's church. And I love Todd. That was the weirdest thing. You know, I really wanted Todd to, I knew no, that was the thing I remember telling my mom's pastor when I went to talk and get, you know, some help. I know no one is ever going to love me like Todd loves me. I told him that. I knew that. I just felt I didn't love what I had believed a lot. I felt like I didn't love Todd the way that he loved me. And I needed to go find that. That's what my biggest problem was. But I kind of wanted us to still be friends, remember? And oh, I, was, I remember, yeah. Yeah, because I, I loved him. And he was so good no, to me. No, that's not how it works. And, and that's a lot of immaturity and selfishness. And honestly, just like you said, I, I didn't get to do a lot of that young, stupid yeah. stuff. And so I was being young and stupid. And there was a lot of pressure with the Egan situation about who was going to have him in their home right. full time. And so I had to file. I filed pretty quickly. I, I, I just had remember. the paper served. Because a lot of the pressure that was coming from a lot of different things, and because I wanted to just get it done, because I felt like I might, you know, yeah. back out of it, and I felt like I'd made up my mind and this is what I was going to do, and I'm going to just hurry up and do it and have it done. And so I went ahead and filed. And honestly, I, I, the only thing I can say that happened was God, because I know ladies at the church took a you know a special time night. I didn't know they all prayed for me. Todd's mom came to visit Brooke at work one day. She took her out to lunch. His mom said she wanted to help, but truth be told, Brooke was a little bit freaked out. Todd's mom asked Brooke if she'd just give it another six months. Just six months. And if it didn't work out, then Brooke was free to leave again. No questions asked. And I I didn't answer then, but eventually when I got home because of the pressure, that's what my decision at first was, to come home for six months and I was going to leave again. That was my intention. But in that six months, God got a hold of me. Some things broke off of me, and I realized how much I loved Todd. And we didn't know we did. It wasn't like this. How much I like loved this, our family, and how much I didn't want to damage. It wasn't this like magical reunion. No, it took, time it took and a work. lot yeah. of time, and for a long time, when I first come back, Todd's way of dealing with hurt was being sarcastic, and that's how he covers he's hurt. And so, if I did anything, even it would be in front of people, Todd would be like, "Oh, I'm not worried about it. you'll just." And he'd do it kind of like a laughy, jokey way. You'll just leave again, yeah. and like it just he would say things like that in front of people, and, and it really hurt my feelings. And we talked about it and you did quit, but there was a lot of working through a lot of issues and it wasn't a magic, miraculous overnight thing. It was an overtime. I remember one conversation I had after a church service and I said, you know, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I do know from this point on, I'm going to try because I wasn't trying for the first several months. And I did tell him from that point I was going to try. And I think that was the starting point right. where it started to get better. As it started to get better, the two of them talked about having more kids. And, but you know, I will say, I know I in, wanted at least three. Well, and yeah, Todd she always said she wanted three, and I wanted two. We always say we compromised and, on and eight. eight. You know, it's one of those things. Our family just kept growing. It was like eight different decisions to grow our family, and they were unique. All eight. Well, of even them. even and the second adoption was, was a surprise. surprise, and people are like, "How did you have a surprise adoption?" Well, like it was, it was a sibling. The, call. the agency called and said there was a sibling. We didn't. We didn't right. plan. And Louis was a complete and total surprise. Yeah. So we had some surprises in there. We also had some that I think Todd was a little more surprised about than me. 
But, you know. What does that mean? Did well, I know. Me? I mean, like, I was okay with it. He was a little more not, and we weren't as careful. I, I struggled with a couple. I didn't help you be super careful, you know. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those things, and it's like Todd said. I tell people all the time, when I had one kid, one kid was hard. When I had two kids, two kids was hard. I think the more you grow, you just adjust, and we're just used to chaos now. And like Todd said, they all help. It's a tribe yeah. mentality. We've developed, we know everybody can't be in all the sports and do all the things. We just learn because we have a large family that we, it's, it's yeah, we let, our, we let ourselves off the hook. It's not when people say, how do y'all make it work? We're like, well, sometimes well, we, we don't, don't, we don't, you know? we don't operate like a, two, Some, sometimes like a it's just nuts family. and sometimes the house is a mess. And I tell my kids all the time, God chose to put us in this big family. And so, you know, we, we don't do everything just like a smaller family just because we can't, but we also have a lot of like, Hey, my kids have built in playmates. Everybody's always wanting our kids to come yeah. and play with them because their kids don't have anybody to play with. My kids, we don't yeah, need. That's like, another thing. Like the kids don't take care of each other as much as they entertain one another and enjoy one yes. another. Yes, you know? and the older ones do help take care. Yeah, they're, they do from time they, to time. They are very, you know, we all in this family, we all have to pitch in or the family don't work, bottom line. Time for a quick break. When we get back, we'll find out how Brooke and Todd first got started on their adoption journey to Korea and how Todd helped Brooke as she struggled with both depression and anxiety. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. It was Brooke who first broached the idea of adopting a baby. That was kind of something that got put on my heart. So I kind of, like I said, I have to pitch things to Todd when I know he's going to, and it's more out of fear. I know Todd is the safe bet guy. He's going to be concerned. How do we do this? How's this going to work? We're dirt poor. We can't afford this. So I kind of pitched it to Todd and, you know, he's so good to me and he always, he has a hard time telling me no. So I think he kind of appeased me saying, yeah, 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 we can do it, thinking I'm going to get into this and really not going to be able to do it. But he should know by now, like, I'm a, when I want something, I'm a go-getter. And I began to do the research. And so I would feed him all this information. And again, I'm pitching my idea to him. And he came along for the ride. But once he was on board, he's all in. He was the, when we got into adopting our first daughter, Judah, because we actually looked into China, we were too young. China, you had to be 30. To adopt and they this China was a little stricter they had a lot like the China you know they had a little more restrictions and one of them was you had to be a certain age and also financially they had some higher restrictions on there so in looking and getting kind of turned down in that I found Korea and I fell in love with Korea so again I began to find these blogs and different people that were adopted and begin to follow along and begin to kind of research where they adopted from and and I'm a researcher. When I want to do something, I'm going to dig out every little detail. I found Holt International and began to ask questions and email. And honestly, I thought they would, again, this is, we thought they would tell us no. Todd, I think, came along for the ride thinking they're going to tell us no. And every problem we had, they even said you could have co-signers on adoption if you didn't make enough. Like, every problem we had, they had a solution. And I kept thinking they're going to laugh at us and say, you know, y'all can't adopt. You know, y'all are crazy. You know. But they didn't, and we, we just agreed together in our prayer time and talking about it that we would walk through every door that God continued to open, and He continued to open. And what we tell people is we just feel like, you know, our daughter was in Korea. Yeah, our kids were in Korea, and, you know, and, and we didn't and, know it, so all and, the doors shut except that. And you know? that's where the doors flung open, and they told us it was going to be about 18 months for a referral. But, of course, like anything in our life, we got a call four months in. We, we thought we'd have more time to fundraise the money because we, we were broke. We went ham on And that was where Todd King stepped in. He was all in. I was the researcher, paperwork, find out everything. Brooke Todd, dealt with all the home studies. She dealt with the agencies the paperwork you had and to all have. the things. It is a lot you have of to get stuff fingerprints. you have to have. You have to be fingerprinted, background checks. You have to have all like all these different 
Do we have to get like a TB test or something? All kind of crazy stuff to prove that you can parent. And I did all that. And I am not the most organized person. So I, the Lord was with me. And I kept all this stuff together, files, and we had everything. Raising the money was my job, yeah. Todd was the fundraiser and raised money. He made t-shirts. He got the church on board. We did oh, fun. Man, we, we did, did like uh, GoFundMe. We had shirts. We had plates that we sold. We had garage church. sales we, that we did. We, we stood, stood outside yeah. Walmart and sold muffins. And we came up with it down to the wire. I think the last $250 came 200. in. We, the yeah, last 200. 200 We need, no kidding, we needed $200. Which, and you we know, had I built mean, every resource. We didn't have Well, a you, you could wrangle up $200, but we didn't really have to because on our GoFundMe, no kidding, no one knew how much we needed. We didn't share the all that. Amount, we got $200. Exactly yeah. what we needed. And it was such a God confirmation along the way this, day, was, but... this was our daughter this was a plan he had so that's that's how you know when we brought her home you know the biggest thing and I say this in the book and it's my favorite story about our adoption with Judah I remember after it come together I was at church in the altar worshiping and I remember just saying to God and praying thank you so much for hearing my little you know hearing my cry for a little girl because I'd wanted a little girl so long and we had three boys and I feel like that even pushed me a little bit to go the adoption route and I so I said that I said I just thank you for hearing my cry for a little girl and I just remember feeling in my in my spirit you know him kind of impressing upon me he says I didn't hear your cry I heard her cry and he said it's so it was such a sweet and I just broke down bawling because it just reminds me in God's word you know he hears the cry of the orphans he heard her cry for her family and so he put that desire in our hearts and that's what kind of connected us and and then we got home. We went home how many months? Eight, eight months. They got through the adoption process twice. And they ended up with eight kids, raising them on a pastor's salary. They were truly happy and they felt genuinely blessed. But for mental health, it often doesn't matter how good your life is going. Brooke also struggled with anxiety and depression. And Todd tried his best to help her through it. Look, and I, I know I tell it to everybody, Todd is my safe place. He is always able to make me feel safe. And I knew that even in our struggles, I think that's why I said I knew no one would love me the way Todd loved me. No one would make me feel the way that Todd made me feel. And, and there was times that he was also had to be that tough love for me when I went through, you know, when it, when it got really bad with some of my fear and anxiety. And we had a lot of little kids at home. You know, he's like, you know, he had some hard conversation with me. Brooke, you've got to fight. You've got to get up. We, you've got to take care of these kids. You've or got we to, have to do something. We've got to do right? something. To... Brooke had all this anxiety about getting sick and about the kids getting sick. They had so much going on, back-to-back pregnancies and a child with a lot of physical needs. You know, there's been several tough seasons where I've rolled in some tough seasons. And if I'm physically, emotionally, and spiritually worn out, it'll really take over. And in that season, it really took over. And I had... I was pregnant. I was pregnant with Louie. I remember I would tell people my pregnancy with Louie, which is our seventh child, I cried. And I'm not talking about a little cry. I'm talking about debilitating, just completely distraught crying every day of that pregnancy and a little bit after. It was, I literally, I I think, I I, I lost weight. I, I lost a lot of weight. It was horrible. It was probably the worst experience that we walked through like in our marriage it just fear took a hold and I couldn't I couldn't get loose from it Todd had to take me to work with, with, me, with, with yeah, me Todd yeah Brooke, Todd took, yeah Brooke I wasn't was working at the time then, yeah. Todd took me to work well, with the little kids he couldn't leave me alone 
I began to like withdraw. I couldn't talk to people. It's a long story and it is in our book, but because I, I couldn't go into all the details of why there's a lot of different why I started struggling with how talking to people because I'm a, I'm a talker. If you know that I'm a talker and I love to talk to people. So it was just, and I had zero joy. And it was one of those things that me and him together just had to, it was God. Finally, a nurse practitioner listening to me and saying, you're not crazy. You're exhausted. You have you know, about to be seven kids. I think I just had my seventh kid. Yeah, you She's like, you, yeah, you are exhausted. Because they were about to commit me. My, pa- like we, my mom, me, like, and, me and her mama were getting really close to just putting her in a facility or something. They we called didn't know the what facility, to do. and yeah. I was coming home to get my clothes to do it. Yeah. And I really just, I remember sitting in the doctor's office when they were doing this. I'm like, is this going to be a part of my story? You know, is this is this the way it's going to go? You know, and we went home, and my mama said, we're trying one more thing. Go see my nurse practitioner tomorrow. And that began my journey of healing with God. Like, I think someone listened, told me I wasn't crazy. You know, she got me immediately in to see a neurologist to, to, to deal with this, the stuff I was worrying about. And then she also put me on medication. And this is the thing. We come from a Christian community. Of course, at the time, my husband, was you associate pastor at this time? By, by time. Yeah. No, wait. You were... Louis, were you? No, we were, were lead. lead. We were pastors. lead pastors. We were pastors. So we, I was yeah. the full, I yeah. was the pastor's yeah, wife. Sure. And when all this was going on, and there's a stigma to having struggling well, with anxiety and, and taking medication. Yeah. And, and, and not all, but there is a stigma and people think you need to pray harder. And that was another thing. I prayed probably 10 hours of the day. I would come outside and say, you honesty. have got to stop yeah. praying. Because I was trying whatever I could do, but it became like as an obsession. And so honestly, like, it really was a stigma, and so I had fault taking taking medication for anxiety and depression. I Which thought is I odd because I'm the pastor of the church here, and I'm like, you should try something. Like, I maybe thought, try some know, medication. And, yeah. But God freed me from that stigma and that shame. Medication very much helped me. That began to start. It didn't. It was another one of those things. I think everything in our life it did not happen overnight. Uh, it was a very long process. I began to notice. Oh, I didn't think. And a we horrible, still deal with it. A yeah, I, I didn't think a horrible time, thought. For 10 minutes, then it became 15 minutes, and then it was, oh, I went all day, and I didn't think Think about I'm dying. But they deal with it together. That's the point here. Brooke also told me that getting on medication just slowly made the world feel normal again. That was the same experience for me when I started taking Zoloft both times after having both of my babies. Brooke and I bonded over the idea that suddenly you have 10 minutes where the world feels like it isn't completely falling apart. And then maybe there's 15 and 20. And suddenly there is a whole day where you aren't burdened by depression and anxiety. And that is a magical moment. Once Brooke felt better, she also felt free to tell her story. And that made Brooke feel really whole again. Because there was no longer this kind of stigma around what she was going through. But meanwhile, Todd was having his own personal crisis, his own doubts, not about Brooke, never about Brooke, but about his career as a pastor. He needed a change. Well, you know, I looked into several things. I looked into being really a real estate agent. Because when you have a family of 10 at the time, because yeah, Megan I mean, hadn't moved out, what can you do to support yeah, that saying. when you've done ministry all your life and have to start over? So, you know, that was, so it was hard for us. We talked about it a lot. Yeah, like different options, and we're coming um, out kind of empty. <laughs> I looked into real estate, but becoming like an agent or something. Everyone laughs at me when I say this, but I looked into becoming a barber 
because I thought, you know, I like to, I do like to talk to people. And there were, there was, you know, I had gotten to a place in my life and I, I do feel like at the larger part of the fault was my own. I don't blame other people, but I had gotten to a place in my life where I was almost an introvert, you know, even though that's not really who I am, you know? And so I looked into all of those things and it, this kind of went on for a couple of years. And then I don't know if I had a midlife crisis or what was going on, but like I, one day I decided, you know what, I'm going to learn how to play the piano. And so that, you know, by the way, if you, if you plan on following up on that question, it's still, it did not go well and still is not going well, but but I did learn how to sort of bang out the chords. And so what I would do, because I do sing, I, and I tell everybody that I can do, that's literally the only thing I can do well. That's and so not true. It really kind of is. But like, so what I would do is I would go on Instagram and I would just sing one minute. Because, you know, on Instagram, if you don't want it to be IGTV, it's just one minute limit. And so I'd sing one minute of just, oh, man, I did Cindy Lauper and I did hymns and I did Willie Nelson. And oh, my gosh, I did I did Poison. I did like every rose as it's long. And a friend messaged me and said, you should try this. And they sent me the link to register for an open call audition for The Voice. And this would have been like spring, maybe late springtime 2019. Yeah, well, we got, well, I knew I wanted to do something. I knew I needed a change in my life. And I'm like, heck, we might as well try it, you know? And plus we thought it would be fun. Yeah, and it was, it was a lot of fun. It's an adventure, do something outside of the box. So fast forward to late summer, the audition was coming up. And now Todd wasn't so sure that this was what he wanted to do anymore. And the audition was that Saturday in Atlanta, Georgia. And so I was like, he was I'm, tired. Not, I'm not going, you know. He's like, I haven't got an email confirming that they even got me registered. Yeah. I'm not going to go. I remember sitting having this conversation and I was like, baby, if you don't go, like, you'll always wonder what if you'll regret it. I'm going to drive down there and it's going to be a no. It sounded fun at the time, but I'm tired. You know, we had church coming up Sunday. I'm going to drive down there on Saturday and then turn around and come to church. And so... But I really kind of put a little pressure on. I'm not a lot of pressure, but I, I yeah, you, definitely. You put a good bit of pressure. <laughs> and because I knew he would regret it. I tied it with adoption, with a lot of things. We always say, I'm the gas, he's the brakes. I have to push Todd to get outside his box to do some things that stretch him. Yeah. And so I knew with Todd, you got to push him a little bit. He'll be glad he went. And so I pushed. And so I, I did. You know, I, I drove, I spent the night, I went to the open call audition, and frankly, I, I stood in an it just a ridiculously long line and I was frustrated and annoyed at the line and at the process and at Brooke for making me go or pushing me to go. Yeah, he ended up having to come back the next day. He got, yeah, like, a call I, got back. I got a call back. And he told me, he's like, Brooke, I've got to go buy clothes. I had to go buy clothes. Well, I didn't know I they didn't were going to call me like, back. I he, thought yeah, they were going to send so, me home. So. It was, it was a, you know, and he actually had to miss church that Sunday. Didn't yeah, he? And it was a crazy thing, but our church was super supportive and it started there and it was a good yeah, it has been a remarkable, you know, the the voice itself, the the show and the production and all the people. Ha, ha, they have just been really remarkable to me and have it, this whole process has changed my life, which that's one of the reasons I'm a man of faith is because so many years ago I knew something was going to change and had to change, but there was no way I could have known, you know. And God knew he had to use like the grand gesture of the voice. Yeah, I always say that about too. my faith. God God, I feel like God loved me enough to give me the grand gesture that he knew I needed. <laughs> because know? otherwise, Ty plays it safe. I do. That's and so true. I think that's, that's why true. God used the voice. It was the platform he chose to use to change it. And it was, uh, it was super cool. Yeah. Time for a quick break. 
When we get back, we are going to find out how Blake Shelton helped Todd make the transition from pastor to pop star. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men... How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry 
She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Todd Tillman had been his wife's rock for so long. Like she said, he was her safe place. But as he went through his journey on The Voice, Brooke started to become his rock. And this time, she was taking on his anxiety. It was extremely nerve-wracking There was a lot of anxiety for both of us, um, yeah. There's like, so many opportunities to be told no. At the time, I was like 41 years old. You know, I'm like, this is the shot. There's not going to be another shot. Right. You know? And I feel like it kind of switched a little, just a tad in that season where I had to be a little more of your rock and be at home when you you know, and, and listen to your fears where it was normally the other way around. So again, God brought a lot of things full circle. So that was yeah. kind of cool. But it was definitely, there was just, for me, there was it, was a, it was anxiety, waiting for the phone calls, waiting to hear how things had done or how things went. I don't know for you, but for me, it was Well, yeah, I mean, you're, pre- you're preparing Without for trying your, to let you know I was anxious. Yeah, you're preparing for your blind audition and you're, you feel like you feel good about the song, but it doesn't matter how you feel about it. You know, it matters how those coaches feel about it, you know, and and you're so you're working on that and you're trying to make that just like it's supposed to be and if you ever watch the boys you know like a blind audition really plumb up through the live shows and and even past that like it's a cut down of a song so you're trying to do just perfect and you want all the right parts in and And it's like a month because you yeah you're just working and trying and you know and so you're working on that but todd had these other anxieties It felt like everyone else there was so much more professional than he was. Some of them had toured before. Some of them had agents and managers. He kept thinking, I'm just a pastor from Mississippi who sometimes likes to sing. Who am I? What am I doing here? And most of them were also half his age. And so it was just really very intimidating for me. It just really was. Now, singing, I've always been really comfortable like singing, I will say, is one of the handful of places in my life that I'm just super comfortable in my own skin. In that time, that part was hard. But on the other hand, I really can't think of anyone that I would say just these people really were a discouragement to me, you know, just they really were like a hardcore discouragement, whether it be the other artists or the production. Everyone was was really encouraging and supportive and helpful. And, you know, e- even the other artists, you know, we were... We did the best we could to just be helpful to one another, whether it be listening to their whatever their rendition was going to be of, of whatever song they were doing or or just having lunch together when we had the opportunity. And it was just, you know, and then, of course, once you do have that blind audition, because when I when my blind audition happened, when I was backstage, I was just dying for real. I, I literally tell people it's almost like if you could simultaneously like puke and poop at the same time that might that's not what you, you feel like doing need to this, this thing <laughs> yeah you know it's like uh, you i mean you know when you get really nervous and, but i gotta say when i took the stage i tell everyone this i don't want to i'm not trying to be like oh look at me i'm such a great guy so i was still nervous but it was better i don't know how to put it there was a, a level of calm i don't want to act like i wasn't even nervous oh i was but there was a level of calm that was at a higher level than it was backstage is the best I know how to say it. And so when the chair, when, when the first chairs turned, you know, I was, I was ecstatic and I was good. I made it on a team 
And at that moment, it became, all right, let's make the live shows. That's that what I wanted. Our, that was and the live shows were really my final goal. I never, I even told Brooke, and she can vouch for this. I told her a hundred times, babe, there's no way we're going to win. Right. If, if we could just push it to these right. live shows, you right. know? And so that's what we did. And I think the funniest part for me is I, I probably was nervous, more nervous than you were, because me and my oldest son, Egan, were there for the blind audition. And walking out into that arena was so overwhelming anyway, because this is like, we are really country folk from Mississippi. Yeah, and we're like, we had no town. experience with any of that world or any of performing outside of church or anything like that. So it was just so overwhelming to walk out there. And it was just so, such a moment. And I remember when they had one area like, where we're off, we can either look to the side and kind of see from the side of the stage, or we can look, they have this big TV in front of us so we can see the judges or see, because I kept asking, I coaches. remember, coaches, not judges. They don't they have don't judges like, on they the voice, coaches. they have coaches. I remember looking at Carson Daly and I was so nervous and he was trying to come down. I'm like, well, where do I need to look? Where do I need to look? And he was like, and he kept telling me, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. He's like, just look at the screen. If you want to see when they turn around, you know, and I remember seeing Todd walk out and on that screen and I, and I really, in my head, I was like, Oh my God, he is on the voice. It really was a surreal moment. Like that, this is him on the voice. And, and then it was like kind of a blur. Todd is very, very modest. So I am going to recap his journey on the voice for him. As he said, he made it through the blind auditions. He sang the Bob Seeker and the Silver Bullet band hit, We've Got Tonight. If you're a voice fan, what I'm about to say next will make perfect sense to you. But on that song, Todd got a whopping four chair turns for his performance. That's all the chairs. All the chairs turned for Todd. He chose Blake Shelton to be his coach, saying that he thought the two of them were the most alike in how they presented themselves and how they made music. He proceeded to survive the battles, the knockouts, the live rounds. To make it to the top nine, Todd did his rendition of Peter Cetera's Glory of Love. That was my prom song, by the way, Glory of Love. I love that song. I'm not going to sing it for you right now because trust me, you don't want me to. And he did all these performances while hopping all over the stage. But it was kind of a hop and a twirl and that became known as the Holy Hop. Then on the finale, Todd and Blake absolutely killed it with a duet of Mellencamp's I Fought Authority. The overnight votes were tallied and wait for it, Todd Tillman, pastor from a small town in Mississippi, Dad of eight, man in his 40s, he became the oldest ever winner of The Voice. And like I said earlier, I believe it was Brooke who helped him get there. All right, the moment we've all been waiting for, here we go. The winner of The Voice is Todd Tillman. Congratulations. <laughs> and of course all five of our finalists tonight so like you guys said you were you know you're you're just a couple from a small town you win the voice and you get kind of famous what was that like for you to all of a sudden everyone knew who you were wanted to talk to you and how do you manage that honestly for me and this I try to express on every outlet that I get it really gave me like a, a really deep sense of gratitude, man. Like everyone, it was so, cause when you're on the show, you're just working, man. You know, you're, you're working on your music. You're working on the things you're trying to take the notes that you get from the advisors and the coaches and things. And so it's just sort of a, like, 
and not only that, you're not seeing it as this big, you right. know, famous thing. You're seeing it as like really almost like day to day anxiety in a way. And so when it starts happening and everyone, especially especially like our hometown and stuff, but really people all over the world, everyone and when I say everyone, I mean the good ones. I don't mean everyone, period, because there were some rough ones too, but all the good ones, they're responding so positively and so good. I, for real, I just felt grateful for it. And so and when we had opportunities, which were, you know, different because of COVID and all the things, if people wanted to take photos or do say hello or whatever, I, they would always be like, oh, I'm so sorry to bother you. I'm like, oh, you're not bothering me. I thought it was, I appreciate it, you know? I yeah, think it's it, great. I think I, for me, like, it's almost like it was such a whirlwind that it didn't sink in. I, I don't I know almost, that it has yet. It's not yeah. that I forget. It's almost like I don't, sometimes you don't get why people care as much as they do sometimes. And and it, and, and like Todd said, it's kind of been a humbling thing. Like yeah, people really almost was. apologize. And I'm like, oh my gosh, no. Like Golly, the yeah. fact, it wouldn't even be a big deal if people didn't care enough about our stories so to me it's like these people make it and it's kind of like a lot of like during the voice and of course the voice happened right when COVID got really bad and I think people needed some joy and I felt like we all just kind of connected over that and something you know that we kind of connected through the through this journey and through the music and it kind of began to feel like family and so you almost feel more like it's this one big family and and I don't know it just hasn't sunk in for me I get it's just when I think about it, sometimes I stop and think I'm like, oh, my God, Todd, my husband won the voice. But it's almost like we're still just the same people. Yeah. <laughs> our, we didn't change our life that much because we're, we're not super rich or anything. If anybody's thinking that and our kids, you know, we have a bunch of kids to feed. Our kids keep us super grounded. Our family keeps us super grounded. We're just still the same people. And, you know, now we get to take a lot more selfies with people. But, yeah, you know, I mean. and do some interviews and talk to people but other than that I, I feel like it doesn't sink in or it hasn't for me fully and so it's just i've just been humbled by how yeah, good, like, good people are, are, the, are to us because we're regular people and we don't deserve to be put on any type of pedestal right like i, the, um, I always say like the practical moving parts of day-to-day life have changed a lot but how we approach day-to-day life we kind of just do it the same as I we mean, always I'm did i'm still like know? a huge thrifter and <laughs> yeah. i literally said today i'm like we're doing all these like interviews and so i have to get up and get dressed like actually kind of look decent which i normally don't on a regular basis i think that's just what's kept us a little bit is we're just we kind of still do our life the way we do it has been remarkable yeah it has been it's been wonderful it really has and every almost everyone has been really good to us people could have been any better to us our hometown our church the world the people that i don't think people could have been any kinder to us and i I, I really just credit that. I always say I think God, the goodness of pe- you know, the goodness of God is shown through through His people and through people, and people have been very good to us. Really good, yeah. Since winning the Voice, Todd and Brooke have written a book together. It's called Every Little Win. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's I think the whole premise of the book was like we did, like we did to take this leap on the Voice and win the show, but. I mean, man, that's, that's not really our story. The history behind, yeah. e, e, and I don't, and I also don't want to give the impression to like our that our like entire life was leading up to that moment. I don't think that either. No. And relationally, learning that that we have a gift in one another, and even even Brooke says all the time now, like that that normal is a gift, and that's a win. If you realize how how many people in this world struggle, and how many people in this world are facing like insanely 
nightmarish things right now, normal really is a gift and that's a win, you know, that to, to sort of have a normal life that we may consider mundane. What people see on any big moment in your life, whether it's the voice, whether it's, you know, I don't know what it may be for you, but what like led up to that people seeing that moment was all the little victories. All these little it, things. It just, man. you wouldn't be there. You wouldn't be in the big perfect moment if it wasn't for the day in, day out, like Todd said, mundane things. And I feel like there's so many little miracles and little wins and little gifts that God gives us. Your child looking at you, climbing up in your lap and falling asleep. You know, you have a tough day somewhere and you come home and your husband taking care of things for you. Those little wins, those are the, like, those ultimately are the big things. I think your perspective sometimes just has to shift that it's those daily little miracles that we, we look for the big miracles and we miss out on the little bitty day-to-day -day ones that are making the big one. And so for me, we just want people to know, you know, I know for our book, I, I want people to know your story is important. Your little wins. Yeah, like this are is your make, life, yeah. right? But like one of the reasons that I thought it was a good idea was because I want everybody to understand. Sure, you know, I did. I went on TV the whole nine. All that, all that happened. But I do hope that everybody understands our specifics are different. But this is all of our lives. All of us are facing hardship. Yours may be different than mine, and mine's certainly different than yours. All of us have issues with relationships, whether it's you know, marriage and family or friends or work or whatever, we all deal with those things. And if we, and we basically, it's kind of like, you know, I read a story one time where this guy always found money. Like, and I don't know if this is a true story or not. Let me just say, I, I just read it. This guy always found money, like, and valuable things. He just would find them. And so finally someone said to him one day, like, are you just lucky or why do you find all this money? He said, well, I don't know if I'm lucky or not, but I look for it. He's like, when I'm, when I'm out, when I'm walking on the sidewalk or whatever, I look for things like yeah. that. And so what, what that taught me is like you get, you find what you're looking for. You know, right. if you look for all the negative yes. aspects, right. then that's what you'll find, you know. But if you look for a takeaway, like this is a, a victory for today, you know, right. then that's what you'll get out of it. And that's that's really what I'm hoping that that people will get, that this is not like because I want a TV show that somehow like what we're talking about in this book is out of their reach. The whole point of the book is that this is not only within your reach, but Every in your life right now. Everybody can choose to live a great story. Yeah. And it's your choice. Like you wake up every day and you have the choice to say, hey, I can live a great story. You know, those mountaintops and those times that you dig in and you and continue to, 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 yeah. to, to, to pour into a marriage that you thought maybe isn't going to work. You know, it, it, it that's what makes a great story. A perfect story would be boring. If everything in your life went perfect, Well, then you'd just be used to it. And it that, yeah. It, it would still so be. I think, I just hope people can take away, you know, from our story is everybody gets opportunity to live a great story and your story is not bad because you've had trials and your story 
you know, isn't better than anybody else's because you've had some great experience. We all are just trying to live a great story. Well, yeah, like, I mean, if, if someone's in their car or sitting in their recliner, like, right now, listening to this podcast, I mean, that's a win. There are people who are so struggling. It, yeah. You know, I mean, that aren't even able to live. People that lives, live in parts of the world that this is, this is would be a dream for them, you know? So hopefully we can just sort of be grateful. And that covers, covers it all. Yeah. Guys, that's all I've got. This was beautiful. Well, hey, we appreciate it. Yes. That's good. We got media training in nine minutes anyway. So. <laughs> we've done all this We're media. All this now media. we have done so much. Look, I have done media training myself, and I've trained other people. You don't, you don't need it. You don't need it. So <laughs> just get on the call and be like, Joe Piazza says we don't need it. Bye. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm going to tell them. Let us, let us go let to lunch. Let us go to lunch. <laughs> yeah, let us go to lunch. Save your money. We don't need it. Right, right. Well, thank you so much. All right. Yeah. Bye, Bye, guys. Thanks, y'all, anytime. I appreciate the invite. Bye-bye. This episode of Committed was hosted and reported by Joe Piazza, with very special thanks to Brooke and Todd Tillman. Supervising producer is Ramsey Young. The executive producers are Joe Piazza and Tyler Klang. Theme song and music by Tristan McNeil. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, give us a call at 404-996-1173. That's 404-996-1173. Or send us an email at joe at committedpodcast.com. That's jo at committedpodcast.com. You can grab a copy of Joe's book, How to Be Married, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio and produced in our studios located in Atlanta, Georgia. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz, This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. 
This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.